Boom! There it is, ladies and gents. What up? It is Thursday, SHIT. So happy it's Thursday. Probably one of my favorite days of the week. And I got a fellow educator on the show. So let's get this one rocking and rolling. For all you neurodivergents, people who think a little bit differently, this one's for you. Here we go. Shut up and sit down. Look, a business can give you everything you want in life. Prestige, wealth, freedom. It can also take everything away from you. This show is for those who are willing to take that risk. These are the real life stories of entrepreneurs. But before we start, I have one small favor to ask. Please leave a comment. It can be advice, critiques, tips, feedback, or share this with someone because your engagement is the most valuable and most powerful form of social currency. So thank you, and welcome to another episode of Business Plus! All right, business pros, let's do this. Here we go. I believe that education is the key to success. I've also said that education doesn't always mean college, and many people lose their willingness to learn simply because school told them that they weren't good students. Truth is, Everyone has unique skills and learning modalities. That means that we don't all learn the same way. Today's guest is on a mission to show people how truly amazing they are, no matter what type of student they were in their educational or what their educational experience was. Now, I'm excited to learn from this national board certified teacher, an exceptional needs specialist who has a doctors of education in mind, brain, and teaching. So let's welcome to the show the neurodiverse teacher, Dr. Kristen Eccleston. I warned you, I do things just a little bit differently on StreamYard. Like in a party, so I'm all about it. I like the energy. I feel like I play off of other people's energy. So if you were like, hi, welcome, I'd be like, hi, but like I feel pumped up. I'm ready to go. Oh, yeah. There's no way we're doing that. Look, uh, so. A little heads up, I, I teach at a high school. I teach uh, a course called Financial Algebra. And these are the kids that didn't do well in their math class for the most part and need that math credit to graduate. So if there's anything I've learned in education so far is that in order for you to get them to- I surrender to your will. You gotta keep them laughing. You gotta keep them entertained. You gotta keep them doing something that they're gonna enjoy or you're gonna lose them like that. Welcome to the show, Doc. What do you think about education? Why did you get into it in the first place? That is a really great question. I had no intention to get into education. I went to college and I studied communications and I studied theater and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I had done radio for a long time. I was going to do, uh, I was going to be like a radio DJ. That's, that's what I think I was going to do. And I then switched it up and started doing public relations. I got out of college in 2006 and was like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And I just so happened to be in a car with a, a vice principal of one of the local high schools who was like, you should be a teacher. And I was like, well, I'd always kind of wanted to be a teacher. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know, maybe I could be a teacher. And I went back, there was a program, partnership program with like the school district that I lived near, that I was a student of, uh, with Johns Hopkins University to get your master's in special education. They would pay for it if you at least did three years of teaching after that. Well, then 15 years later, I was still in special education, <laughs> didn't leave. Um, and then I had gotten to a point where I had started a program that I was directing for high school students with mental health needs. And that's what ended up driving me to go back and get my doctorate was in wanting to understand mental health in the education setting. And it's funny, 
I had no intention of leaving. I thought I would still be in the school system, even with my doctorate. That was not like the goal of getting my doctorate wasn't to leave. And it was just one of those things where like life through like one, two, three, four things back to back to back at me. It wasn't just the pandemic type of situation. There were so many other factors going on. And so I decided that I wanted to bring my passion for youth mental health needs something bigger than just the classroom. And I left and I started my own business. And now I do education advocacy work for families through the Weinfeld Education Group. And I'm the neurodiverse teacher and I'm trying to spread this awareness that we got to be a little bit more in tune with youth yeah. mental health needs. There's so many different things that have changed. Uh, traditionally, the school system had worked for a long time. I would even say up until with the exception of everybody always changes little things for yeah. the most part, that thing was running pretty smooth up until about the era of the internet. Now things have completely changed. This Gen Z generation has, you know, we're dealing with social and emotional learning. You're talking about mental health issues. We're dealing with everything from being bullied online to having, you know, just emotional damage done because of COVID where you're not even showing your face anymore. And you're afraid to like put yourself out there. And yet, parents and you know the gen xers and the millennials who grew up we're looking at them like well of course you're having issues you don't go and talk to anybody of course you're having problems you don't communicate the way i did of course you're having issues you don't you're not doing it the math the way i learned it there's a big disconnect right now i feel between the way a parent was taught and the education that the child is consuming because it's not just in the classroom. They're learning so much more holding a screen to their palms than any of us did growing up. How do you address the mental issues when the educator is not just the teacher? No, that's a really great question. And I'll say one, I think you you kind of hit, hit the nail on the head there is that this generation of students is far more exposed to anything than we had ever been exposed to because everything is right there on their fingertips. I work with so many students who are at the elementary level who have been hospitalized for suicidal ideations or concerns with suicide. And I think back to myself when I was in third grade, I don't think I knew that that was a thing. I don't, I don't yeah. even think I knew that that was a concept of that, that existed. And, and there's so many students who, who now are aware of this because I think so much information is just now more readily available to them than it ever was. But I also feel like you're right. There's a, a lot of catch 22s here. A lot of things are put on teachers, right? To be not only a teacher, but a social worker, a counselor, so many different things. But I don't know that teachers always understand what mental health is and what it, it looks like. And unfortunately, and I'm sure you've come across this being a teacher yourself, there's like the spectrum of why you became a teacher. And maybe that's why you even mm -hmm. asked me that question, right? There are people who are like, I became a teacher because I love kids. I will do whatever I need to do for kids. You know, make me go to this workshop, go this professional development, whatever. Like I will do it because it is for kids. And then on the way other end of that spectrum, you have people who are like, I became a teacher because I love science. <laughs> and I want to teach science because I love science. And it really has nothing to do with kids. It has to do with their love of that, that topic, right? Exactly. And then you've got everywhere kind of in between those two ends of that spectrum. But I find that a lot of teachers on the more, more on the end of the spectrum of I became a teacher because I love this content tend to have more disconnects from kids. They're the ones who see a kid with their head down on the desk and go, 
you're lazy and mm. you're not trying hard and not bothering to realize that maybe that kid's head is on the desk because he didn't sleep last night because he's in charge of his four younger siblings and has to cook all the food and make sure they get their homework done because mom is a single mom and she's at work during the night. You know, Sometimes there's this like whole crazy backstory that's going on and you're just labeling a kid. And so I think some of what has to be addressed are these kind of stereotypes and mindsets that I don't know that teachers are meaning to be malicious, but it's coming out that way because we've lost this level of compassion for what this generation is being exposed to, for the fact that they are aware of things that we would have never been aware of. And, and in a sense, does that take away a little bit of their childhood? Childhood Does that take away a little bit of a sense of being a kid because these more complex concepts have already been thrown on them at a younger age? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. But those are all the kind of things that go on in my head when I'm thinking about what's going on in classroom settings and what are some of the things that we need to be considerate of and think about when we're looking at youth mental health needs. It's, it's funny that whole, this whole concept that you're describing, my wife and I talk about it all the time. She's very uh, anti-screen time. She's the breaks, right? So in our household, she's the one who cuts you off and go do something else. Uh, I, on the other hand, I'm like, no, we need to, let's focus in on what they're doing here on this thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I was big on pushing them on, look, you need to, to control your brand. You create your image of what you want online don't let it be created for you. I'm also the type of person who's like, it's not cheating when you go on the internet, that's called research, that's what you're doing now. Uh, The other side of that is there's useful things on like a TikTok feed, like you can use the trends to your benefit, especially if you're an entrepreneur and you're going in this route. Like I feel when I was a kid growing up, my parents could keep me in a bubble. If I wanted to know something, then too bad because I didn't have the encyclopedia in front of me. I didn't have the library access. There was no way I could know you can keep a kid in a bubble. Mm -hmm. But today you can't keep the kid in the bubble. It's not our job to keep them in a bubble. It's our job to guide them through this world with massive opportunities and Mm -hmm. pitfalls and information that's out there. It's a completely, in my opinion, different approach. I spend a lot of time in the classroom trying to get to know the kid on like almost a friendship level to have them buy into the concepts that I'm trying to teach them before I try to jam the concept down, the the drill and kill that we've done in the past. What do you feel is one of those things in the classroom, that that SEL, that social and emotional learning, these types of strategies that we can do in in the classroom to help bring those kids out from the corner of of anxiety and bring them into that mainstream of vulnerability in the classroom and, and that comfortableness when they speak with their peers? You just answered it. In all honesty, where you just said, I build those relationships first, that was something that I always promoted when I when I was overseeing departments and I oversaw different teachers. I was like, that is what you have to do first. I feel like as a teacher, I can help. I, I know how to help somebody learn. Like I was taught as a teacher how to help somebody learn, right? You're given that skill set. But I can't help you learn if you're not available to mm. learn. And I find that the way to help a student be available to learn is to have those established relationships. And I know some teachers hate hearing that, like, oh, just have a a relationship. Yeah, just have a relationship. And and I'll get into why I think it's challenging in, in a moment for some teachers. But I think having a relationship and spending the time, even if it's taking away from class time to build up relationships with students, is one of the most important things you can do because it's that that you can rely on 
when they're having a hard time or when they're struggling or when they're not really feeling having to be in school or learn something that day. It's the relationship that you appeal to to then get them reengaged. And I think it's time well spent not only for you as the teacher, but for that student too, to have that connection, to feel like a, an adult understands me and is connected and is, is interested in me more than just me being here as a student, but me as a person. And so I think building relationships is the most important thing. It should be the number one thing that you do. And then the academics come after that. I think sometimes teachers have a hard time with the, the more troubled or problem kid, and, and I'm air quoting that because I don't see them as trouble or problem kid, but I get that that can be your perception if, you know, somebody is yelling at you or cussing you out or flipping desks or chairs. Obviously, not an enjoyable experience, especially as somebody who has worked with students with those types of needs in the past. I didn't enjoy it either, but the way I looked at it after years of working with that type of student was when that was occurring, that student was testing me. And if I got into a point where, and not like testing my patients, like testing me and, and kind of my resiliency for them, because if it got to a point where I went, I don't want to deal with this, forget it, you're ridiculous, I'm, I'm essentially messages of I'm giving up on you, then you failed that student's test. That is exactly what they were doing to see if they could push you away. Because most of those students who, if you see, have some of those more extensive behavioral needs, if you take a minute to look into their background or what they've been through, they've probably been through some pretty traumatic or impactful things in their lives where some adults who were probably supposed to show up for them didn't show up for them. Yeah. And I think of this one kid who I love and adore, but it took me two years out of his four high school years to finally have a relationship with him. And once I did, it was a beautiful relationship. I loved that kid. He loved me. We, we, it was a very solid relationship, but it took two years to get there because he had had so many adults in his life fail him that his pushing of my buttons was my test to pass to show him that you can push me all you want. I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to be here. I'm not going to abandon you. I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to be here. And it took me two years of that type of dynamic with him. But then once I, I passed his test, we had a beautiful relationship. And I think that's the one thing I would want teachers to know is I know that sometimes it seems like, oh, just have a relationship is hard. But sometimes you have to look at who the kid is and what they've been through. And is this really more about them making sure you're an adult that's not going to abandon them than it is about them really just being mean to you to be mean to you type of thing? Yeah, yeah. And and that educational process it's difficult cuz you got kids all over the board in the classroom. You got the ones that are that are just going to you give them the assignment and they're done before you finish, you know, giving the instructions, right? You got those kids and then you got some of them that that do struggle, right? And and this is one of those things where I'm I'm going to go back to grades here for a second because what you were talking about earlier where you're like, you know, this kid is a problem. This kid is an issue. I I this I don't I can't deal with this kid simply because the kid is not passing the class. Right. And this is one of those relationship problems here where, where you're talking about, you know, and, and, and for me in school, the kids that come to my class tend to be the ones that didn't do well in school. And, and it's and they've quit on themselves because people have quit on them. They think this is not the path for me. They've been conditioned that because they couldn't get an A, there was nothing else worth doing. And that's kind of one of those struggles that I think a, an educator falls upon because 
they also want the best for their students. They're coming from a good place. Most educators are coming from a good place. They, but the way they push on some of these kids is just continuous downplaying what their skills are versus trying to embrace them. I've got great relationships with some of the kids who were my F students mm-hmm. as a ninth graders, right? But then they come back senior year and they're maybe B and C, I want to say, maybe B and C students, right? They didn't get that far up, but they've taken, they've taken themselves from I can't do it to, well, at least I can get a C. And that's a huge difference in changing their mindset to want to learn something. I think that's a big change, right? Like how much value do you place on a kid's letter grade versus their mental health versus their willingness to participate? I always tell kids that their mental health is more important than any type of letter grade because it is. And I feel bad. I feel like we've put so much pressure on them and this idea if you want to go to the college that you want to go to, your grades have to be a certain way and you have to have taken so many AP or or honors classes and college is the only way to have been successful, which I don't agree with. I, you know, I think pick a goal, a passion, if that means trade school, college, you know, an internship, an apprenticeship, whatever makes you happy, go for it and, and go after it. But I, I have seen firsthand, and I will not, I, I won't say his name um, because I'm sure he would watch this and then be mad at me. But, but <laughs> I taught a student many years ago who his name rhymed with virus, and they would call him his name, the virus. And first off, that broke my heart when I mm. first started working with him. He was he was a junior in high school. I had taught him. I had known him his his freshman and sophomore year, but I really started working with him his his junior year. But he had this reputation in the school. And and if you ever went to try and advocate for him, you would have teachers who who as soon as you said his name were like, nope, you know, yeah. like not for that kid. And that broke my heart because it th- I thought to myself like, we be, were teachers. You would think that. Like we would never be blindsided by a kid or not want to do right by a kid. And his junior year, I started working with him. I was signed to him to work with him. And it was myself and one other person. And I think we just really tried to instill just blind faith into him that like, we know you can do this. Um, He was getting like PSAT scores back that were like off the charts with what his score was. And and, like, not anything anybody had expected from this kid. And and I I pointed it out to him one day. And and I think that I can almost remember seeing the light bulb go off on his in his head when I pointed it out to him. And then it was like, after that, he all of a sudden became a straight A student for the rest of his mm. senior year. And, and his senior year, he was honorable the whole time. And what that showed me was that when a kid has an adult or feels like they have an adult in their corner who's got their back, who will support them, the significant difference in what they're able to produce or what they're willing to go after or chase, just from knowing that one person believes in them is such an incredible confidence boost to them after having years of feeling like nobody believed in me. And and, and I saw it firsthand and it was so powerful to me. And I don't think, so, I think sometimes teachers forget mm-hmm. that you have the power and the ability to be that person, to find that kid who feels like nobody believes in me, everybody has only ever pointed out to me what's wrong with me or how I'm not the type of learner I should be. But now that you are in my corner and you pump me up and you've got my back and I feel like you're my safety net a little bit, like you can just see this kid 180 and the stuff that he does now as an adult, just I couldn't be more proud of him after having to have watched him go through 
what other teachers saw of him or how they perceived him or or how they weren't willing to get behind him or support him. And I love the success that he has now. And I tell him all the time, I hope you go back and you rub it in everybody's face. <laughs> but I, it just, I, I hope teachers know that you have the power to be that person and to do that thing for a kid. And it's probably one of the best feelings on a selfish point. I'll say on myself, it is one of the best feelings you can have as an educator to watch a kid transform like that. One, I couldn't agree with you anymore. hundred percent true. I mean, that's the reason why I always go back, right? This is why we, we continue to do what we do because when those eyes light up and they're like, Oh, yeah. that is the, the greatest feeling as a teacher. You're 100% true. My kids right now, uh, we, we went back to school last Wednesday. So wow. we, we are a week and a half in practically. So week one was all school activity stuff. Week two here, they're playing cash flow. It's a board game. And uh, it's really it's really cool to watch them just at the beginning. So it's financial algebra. And I, I always tell them, there's no way I can talk to you about mortgages or taxes if you don't speak the financial language. So first, we got to learn the words here. Then we can get into it. And these kids are coming in having zero knowledge. And after two days of playing a board game, they're talking about return on investment. They're talking about cash flow. They're talking about mortgages and liabilities, income statements. They're using the vocabulary, right? And uh, and the thing I've heard that is always amazing for me is they're sitting here thinking, and they say it out loud, I've never had a math class where I have fun. Like, that's so sad, right? I mean, how, they dread going to math class. They dread learning when our mind's number one thing it wants to do at all times is learn. That's why we are on TikTok all the time because we want to learn something new. Yeah. Educate or entertain me. One of those two things has to happen. Why are we losing them with some of these complex topics? Is it, do you think it has something to do with like where we have state standards that we have to hit and that's just not meant for everybody and we're trying to push it on everybody? Or is this something that we can actually diversify our, our lessons in the classroom to meet every single person? Because I honestly feel like that's the attempt. It just doesn't always happen. You are 100% right in everything that you said. I think first off, we are, our education system right now is designed for this like one size fits all, right? And you either fit in this box as like a neurotypical, essentially individual, and you do okay. Maybe, maybe you don't love school. Maybe, you know, it's not your favorite thing, but you could pretty much do well across the board because your brain is just tied into this structure that is currently in place. There are so many more, and I feel like TikTok is a great place to, to see this, more and more people who I think are identifying as being neurodiverse and neurodiverse is your, your ADHD, your autism, your dyscalculia, dyslexia, sensory processing disorder, Tourette's falls into there as well. And, and I think those are more of your creative brains, your brains who are more analytical, can see 500 different options or outcomes to one question, who, who want to be hands-on and kinesthetic with the way that they learn. And a lot of project-based learning, I'm sure you're familiar with that term. Mm -hmm. I would say that does best for students who are neurodiverse, but they've gotten so many negative um negative interactions throughout their educational career, starting from a very young age. And I can say that as somebody who is ADHD, who when I was in elementary school, middle school, high school, that was not a thing. Girls did not have ADHD. Mm. It was a bunch of hyperactive little boys if you had ADHD. And so 
you got a lot of negative messages. And I think kids who are neurodiverse still get negative messages. Like if you weren't so lazy or if you just tried harder or you're not paying attention or stop fidgeting or, you know, all these different negative messages, I think start to eventually build up in your mind. And especially by high school, you have this idea of who you are as a learner that may or may not accurately reflect what you're capable of, but you think it is. It's that perception versus reality a little bit. Mm -hmm. And you've heard all these messages from people who are teachers. So, I mean, why would your teacher say anything differently than what you're capable of? And so you think I'm not that great or I'm not that smart. And the last thing you want is to stand out in any kind of way from your peers and be seen as weird or different. So you work so hard to mask it. And sometimes I think what you see with those types of students is it's easier for me to go ahead and fail on my own terms than it is for me to attempt and fail. So I'm just going to go ahead and not do anything because then I can be like, see, I'm just not good at it. Instead of me actually like putting my heart and soul into it and then having to come back with that reality. Oh, actually I am not good at it. Or I'm, you know, it's almost a, failing, but on your own terms type of things, it's a little less threatening for kids. And so I think that is some of what you're seeing. You're seeing more neurodiverse kids who just the way school is tailored, it just does not meet the needs of their brain. And so they just don't connect with school. But I also think that standardized testing is like, I think it's awful. Like, I think it's absolutely horrible. Um, I'm somebody who I point out all the time to, to kids, I had a horrible SAT score. And when I say horrible, I mean like a horrible SAT score. (laughs) And I still ended up with a doctorate from Johns Hopkins University. So it took me a long time. It wasn't until I was like in my 30s that I was finally like, hey, I actually think I'm a lot smarter than I ever realized I was. And I had to kind of build my confidence back up. But I didn't let who I was as a high school student define me. And I want high school students now to not have to spend a decade like I did having Mm -hmm. to build your confidence back up because of those messages that you got. And I think standardized testing does that to kids. All it does is show that either I'm a good test taker or I'm not a good test taker. It doesn't really show your aptitude for, you know, having your own business or your creativity or what you're, you're capable of. And some of the more, I would say, countries like Finland that are higher ranked in education, they don't do standardized testing. There is no such thing as standardized testing there. And they're one of the higher performing countries educationally. So I I feel like oftentimes this is just standardized testing was a way for people to control pocketbooks and funds. Yeah. I, and I totally agree with that one. Totally. Not a fan of the standardized test. Uh, something you mentioned that a lot of these kids walk in believing that they're not good at anything that's taught to them. So they kind of quit fail. You know, mm-hmm. that that belief though, that thought that they put in their head, it becomes true. It be, That's why they spend a decade trying to figure it out because they've already put it in their mind that they're not good at it, right? And this, that's one of the walls that I like to break down for them. The other side of that, when we were talking about grades is they quit fail at the beginning. Why? Because they're already gonna be judged by the letter grade that they're gonna have. And for me, it's like, dude, the failure is where the learning actually happens. How could we discourage failure when that's the educational process? A kid gets up, takes a couple steps, falls down. They fail. They don't quit and lay down forever. They get their butt back up and they keep going until they finally figure out how to walk. 
it's the way it's the way things have always been done. You want to you want to get in shape? Well, you got to tear the muscle down till it fails and then it builds itself back up. Like failure is the learning process in almost everything in life and yet we don't apply it to our own school system. We use it as a tool that changes a kid's creativity, thought process, their excitement for learning and we just shut it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Doc, before we head out, because we're running to towards the end on time, uh, let the audience know, like, what is it that you do? Why, you know, how can people get a hold of you? That sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So people can probably easily find me on my website. It's been scrolling at the bottom of the screen, www.theneurodiverseteacher.com. There you can get links to my podcast, to uh, my advocacy work. So what I mainly do when I, I'm not getting to talk to you is I am working as an education consultant or advocate for families with students specifically who have mental health needs in the education setting and are either school avoidant, that's a lot of the students that I work with have had a history of hospitalization or significant mental health needs. And essentially either the family feels like the education setting is not being as supportive of it as it needs to, or the child has only just started to display these signs and symptoms and they're not sure what to do. And they're looking for somebody to kind of help navigate what supports can be put in place at school uh, to help their student who is or child who is experiencing these mental health needs. So that is what I spend most of my time doing. But my my other love is just being able to communicate my passion for us really needing to wake up to the needs of our youth and mental health and, and really figure out what are we gonna do to fix this? Cause these are our future. These, these children, these students are our future. And like I said earlier, I'd rather them come out of high school ready to go than have to spend that decade like rebuilding that confidence back up. So true. So true. All right, Doc. Now I'm going to ask you uh, more on the personal side. You have a podcast. You've been on other podcasts. You've had guests on your show. Uh, The way we grow our brand is literally by asking our guests, uh, what was your experience like on the Business Bros? Um, I loved it. I love the energy here. I love all the video clips. Uh, You know, usually it's very kind of dry. Not this experience. I feel like I'm on like a podcast party. It's very fun. That's what I'm talking about. All right, ladies and gents, look, education is the one thing that your mind absolutely craves. It might not be school, but school doesn't equal education. There's always something out there that you want to learn. You have a passion in life. There's something that excites you every single day. And as long as you go out and become an expert in that thing, you can turn that passion into a career. So if you're ready to accept it in your own mind or you need a little bit of help, you can always check out theneurodiverseteacher.com. Find out what she's all about, who she's helping, how she's helping them find clarity in their vision and their ability to learn. Because sometimes when we teach, we learn a lot more ourselves. So make sure you guys check it out, theneurodiverseteacher.com. Doc, thanks again for being on the show. And anytime somebody's a doctor, I love calling them a doc. It's it's a Bugs Bunny thing. For those of you who are young, you just don't understand. If you don't know Bugs, you don't know Bugs. Sorry. (laughs) But Doc, thanks for coming on the show. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you guys again manana. Peace. And we're out. It's over. Go home. Is your business in need of marketing? Try starting a podcast. But not just any podcast. Podcast like a pro. We can show you how to take your business from being invisible to becoming a brand people trust. Go to www.businessbros.biz to get started today.